0: Welcome to the last episode of Edinburgh Braffin Podcast in 2019. For this episode, I'm joined by Dr. David Sofa and Dr. Pasquale Yannoni, and we look back at this year's best films we've seen. We mentioned Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Irishman, Mary Queen of Scots, Knives Out, and others. On another note, we'd like to thank everyone who listened to our episodes this year and expressed their support, and we look forward to next year and the films and episodes it'll bring. For now, here's the best of 2019. Hello, David and Pasquale, how are you doing?
1: Hello, Kat, nice to see you.
0: And to you?
2: Yeah, I'm a bit done in, but <laughs> you know, end of the year. Yes, are we
0: all? Yeah, so we're here to talk about our best films of 2019. We did this last year and it was great fun. Yes. So I'm hoping for, for more fun this time round. How many films do you have so far, or altogether, that you prepared for today that you want to talk about?
1: Well, I've picked 10. So I've got mm-hmm. 10. <laughs> uh, as I was saying earlier, these are not all cast iron masterpieces. Uh, They're just films that I thought uh, were quite interesting. Uh, Most of them flawed, but, (laughs) um, uh, yeah, and again, I haven't seen as much as probably I should have uh, on the big screen because of various reasons. Uh, But I think I've I've seen a few of the big hitters this year,
0: anyway. Mm. How about you, David?
2: Well, I've put together, I think I've seen 183 films so far this year. Wow, Wow. Which... I still need to get up to 200 before New Year. Mm -hmm. So I've (laughs) kind of listed them in terms of, you know, and I just kind of list everything I've seen, you know, Mm -hmm. historical, what, then I've just done um, a different uh, different list of the ones that were released in 2018, 2019, which I saw in 2019. So I did the same as Pasquale, just um, put together a list of things that I thought were interesting, films that I'll be coming back to, and also looking at the ones that were, appalling
1: as well <laughs> Funny, what I've noticed actually from my list which we can talk about is that quite a lot of them are period films mm. Now, not talking like hun- hundreds of years but I mean 60s, 70s, 50s back to the 30s so I thought that was you know kind of commonality
0: Interesting. Under, yeah.
1: not all of them but most
0: mm. of them so how do you want to go about it uh, do you want to start with the one that is on the last place for you or do you just want to oh. go whatever just start keep mentioning it <laughs> Keep the knives. <laughs> yeah, noise for, for yeah no, I
1: mean, mine are in no kind of particular order. I suppose. I mean, there are yeah. a couple of favourites, but uh, uh, overall, there's no particular kind of order.
0: Mm, I like that. Yeah.
2: Why don't you start, Squali? Give us, give us one <laughs> of your
1: Okay. Well, I thought I'd start with uh, one of the big ones for this year, which was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, yeah. uh, from QT, from Tarantino, and um, Tarantino again. One of these directors that. Uh, Everyone has an opinion on <laughs> a director that uh, I kind of got to know when I was in my teens uh, with um, pop fiction in particular, but also Jackie Brown. Uh, since then, I've kind of l- its not that I've lost. Track, I mean, I, I tend to see most of his films, <clears throat> but um, uh, I, I can't say I've been enamored with with all of them recently. Um, but I did think this one was um, particularly good. Uh, I thought it was very different in tone to his last one, uh, The Hateful Eight. That film, quite a bit darker, a uh, bit more nihilistic. This one, there's a definite kind of, I suppose, elegiac tone, maybe because it's, it draws on his memories, of, of Tarantino's memories of growing up in L.A. in the 1960s, late 60s. Um, but, of course, you do have this shadow hanging over o- all of the events, um in the form of the, um, the, the Manson murders, which again, a very interesting approach here that he has to that, this kind of revisionist approach, which <coughs> he has done before with films like inglorious bastards. Uh, so yes, I mean, I thought this was a really rich film, very detailed production design. Um, the performances were, were the central performances in particular were, uh, were, were quite strong. Uh, yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's a little baggy, as in a lot of um, uh, Tarantino films. But I think, in terms of the flaws, you can
2: you can forgive quite a lot <laughs> of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I this is actually near the top of my list as well. Um, I absolutely loved this. Mm. I thought this was amazing, and particularly in terms of thinking about his interest in counterfactual history. Yeah, this idea that what if something else had happened instead of one thing? Somebody had turned left instead of right. You see that I think it's an inglorious Bastards. He does the same thing, and I think that's once upon a time in Nazi Germany. <laughs> yeah, I think that yeah. the title is there. So, and I've been thinking of, of writing something about counterfactual narratives for a long time, and, and and this really kind of caught my imagination, and I really wanted to um, come back to it. Of course, I haven't had time to do that, but that's something I want to revisit. There were a lot. Of, there was a lot of critique of the film in that it was. Anti-realist. Yes, that it was a celebration of the worst of Hollywood, of the excess and so on. Um, and I thought those those criticisms were really misplaced and, and massively misunderstood the film. Yeah, um, I don't often say that. <laughs> yeah, I, it really kind of got on. You know, I, I really got annoyed by the criticism of that film.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, what I also liked was that, as ever with Tarantino, the, the, the cinephilic quality. So a film about filmmaking about the film industry. Um, there are references to so many films. There are imagined films. The, 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 all the pictures that uh, the, the actor, the main actor, uh, Rick Dalton, played by DiCaprio, stars in. Uh, very lovingly recreated uh, by Tarantino, as you would expect. Everything from his Western TV series, Bounty Law, to this kind of Were Eagles Dare-esque uh, war movie. And then this recreation of his period, in Italy, which I found great. I mean, it was terrific. Towards the end of the film, Rick, the, the Rick Dalton character has this period in Italy, I think it was just six months, oh yeah. where he makes a whole load of films and he gets married to an Italian woman yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I thought that was the way that's cut as well. I mean, I think, I think it must only be a few minutes uh, and it's beautifully put together, I think, by by Tarantino with recreation of... Uh, Italian genre movies from westerns to police thrillers. So, yeah, I really like. that Did you movie. see
2: this card?
0: I yeah. didn't see it, and um, I think by the end of it, I was kind of like, I did enjoy watching it, but I didn't like the film, and I didn't mm. like it because of various vi- reasons, because of okay. the female characters in it, and the fact that Margot Robbie literally did not say a word throughout the whole film, uh-huh. and she was this kind of... And I think it was part of... because of the person that she was playing, but at the same time, I was kind of like, well, yeah. you know, it's...
1: This is something that I think people have talked a lot about in relation to this film, but also The Irishman, mm. Mm. which we'll come to later, and the extent to which to be a character, to be an important character in the film, how many lines do you need to have? <laughs> is it important for a character to have a lot of lines mm. to be important? And I think in the case of The Irishman, but also maybe to a lesser degree in this film, I think the character is still an important figure,
2: yeah.
0: I
1: would say, mm. yeah, even though... She certainly, I mean, obviously, if you were to counter lines, then obviously she doesn't have that mm-hmm. many compared to the others.
0: Yeah. But even in terms of the target audience for this specific film, I yeah. thought that unless you do have this extensive knowledge of Hollywood and Hollywood films from the 50s, 60s, right. and all the references, right. I wonder if, if if it's sort of made for the sort of everyday um, cinema goer. And that's what kind of bugged me a little bit, cause I mm. because I wondered, because it was this. Beautiful, picturesque idea of LA, you know, and it was so scenic and. So do
1: you mean it was very knowing, like very knowing, perhaps. Yeah, and it, it
0: kind of felt like it was. <laughs> I was just speaking to my colleague who's from the US, and I yeah. kind of said to her that I felt like, as a as someone who comes from Central Europe, mm-hmm. that film felt very mm, sort of made for the US audience, okay. or so, sen- people who are into film, but like to a very, very extreme extent. So, and that is just an, a criticism. It doesn't necessarily. You know, yeah. I don't feel left out, but I feel like just in sort of general terms. I mean, I
1: think that could be applied to a lot of his films. Well, yeah, I mean, he's yeah. a <laughs> cinephile director. Yeah. And he yeah, loves exactly. yeah.
2: Kill Bill. All those oh. films are just, and, and that's the joy of his films. And in yeah. fact, I don't think his films are for a general audience. Basically, mm. I think the general audience, whatever that is, remember Pulp Fiction vaguely. Yes. Um, and that's it. Yeah. I don't think they're really interested in Tarantino. Yeah. Mm. and it's always it
1: like, do you bit bit get enough from the film without having to get every single yeah. reference? I think yeah. that that is probably key. Mm. And if you think that um, there's just too much, there's just a scattergun approach, yeah. then you might think, oh, yeah. you d- won't really engage with it.
0: Yeah, but equally, mm. I'm not a massive Tarantino film yeah. film fan, so yeah. maybe that that's that's another reason why. How about our next yeah. film on the? On so the list? on
2: my list, top of my list, I've got two films, both. Roundly hated by people <laughs> so one is David Robert Mitchell's under the silver lake which you know he directed it follows and This was his his um, Kind of homage to rear window. I mean, and it's very obviously a homage to rear window. It's very sexed up mm. It's very knowing as well. It's very kind of self-referential and it's with Andrew Garfield playing an American He's hilarious. <laughs> it was it was fantastic. I mean, again, this this film was accused of being very misogynistic, um, and again, I think people misread the film. I think it's I think it becomes difficult when we're saying actually the misogyny here is there to be critiqued rather than to be celebrated. But I think that was the impression I got with Under the Silver Lake. Did you see that, display? No,
1: I'm that's one of those that I didn't see. Yeah, mm-hmm. no. No, that's so no. great.
2: So mm-hmm. the other one at the top of my left list was Gaspar Noe's Climax, Mm. um, his kind of weird dance film where a troupe of dancers are in a kind of an abandoned factory rehearsing a, um, a piece and somebody spikes their drinks in classic kind of fashion and they just go on this trip, which is quite astonishing. Yeah. And I love this as well.
1: Yeah, no, I quite like this. I mean, and I generally like, um, I mean, it didn't make the list, but I, r- I really like Noe as a, I mean, obviously we know he's a very much a provocateur, dazzling visual style. Mm. Uh, and I mean, for me, uh, Into the Void, I thought was really technically
2: extraordinary film. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and yes. And even, I mean, even uh, Love, did you see that? Uh, no, actually, that's yeah, that one of Actually, no. I thought yeah. this was going to be terrible because it's, it's a weird kind of love story, which is not very interesting. Yeah. But it actually gripped me. Yeah. It was amazing. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. 3D, that one, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't see it in 3D. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, there were some ridiculous 3D shots. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, But with Climax, because I was I was quite interested in how it related to Guadagnino's um, Susperia remake. All oh, right, right, uh-huh. aha. Suspiria has got a similar kind of dance troupe getting into yeah. a, a magical kind of out of controlness.
1: That's another film that was of maligned really, yeah. and people misunderstood. The first half that. was absolute yeah. genius, yeah.
2: and then the second half he kind of forgot. Yeah. He had no plot, yeah. so but climax was much better than that. I yeah. thought.
1: I think for me, the, the a, a film that I mean, I, I again, I d- it probably squeezes in to my, to my top ten. It, it actually just came out on Netflix, and in fact, there'd be a few of these films that are Netflix. Some mm. got releases, some didn't. Uh, it's called *The Laundromat*, which uh, I don't know if you've heard of. This yeah, is uh, from director Steven Soderbergh, uh, very prolific. Actually, he retired at a certain point. Um, one of the greats, though, I think, of American uh, independent cinema of the '90s: uh, *Sex Lies and Videotape*, *Out of Sight*, uh, *The Limey*, terrific mm. film *The Limey*. Aaron Brockovich, *Traffic*. But this film is about its about, so it's about the, the Panama Papers scandal, uh, leaked papers about the illegal activities, alleged illegal activities of certain offshore uh, companies and how it affects uh, people around the world. And it involved this Panamanian law firm uh, Mossack & Fonseca. Now, the thing with this film is it could have been done in a m- more straight, quasi-documentary fashion. So it could have been done that way, but it's not. It's played for a kind of grotesque... It's played for grotesque laughs, I suppose. And what it does is it has the two lawyers, uh, Mossack, played by Gary Oldman, and Fonseca, played by Antonio Banderas, address the camera uh, in the manner of, I don't know, know, Wolf of Wall Street or House of Cards. And so it's a very uh, reflexive film. They're continually breaking uh, the fourth wall, making you aware of the artifice and there's various stories about various characters and how they're affected by um, the, the scandal. There's a big international cast, Meryl Streep, and I suppose she is the lead. Certainly at the beginning you think she is the, the lead character uh, and her story of her, uh, her husband. They're on a boating trip and the boat capsizes and her husband tragically dies and then she finds out that there's a problem with, um, with the life insurance and she becomes this... Crusader, but I mean, we 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 kind of lose track of her, her story, and, and and Streep actually comes back <laughs> in, a, in another guise, uh, which I won't kind of uh, give away. Um, as I see, it's a very kind of overripe film. I think there's it's packed with uh, a lot of incident. Uh, there's quite a bit of finger wagging, obviously. Yeah, money is the root of all evil, and all of that. Uh, and you might say that, that this breaking of the fourth wall becomes a little bit tiresome by the end. Uh, there is, though, at the end, this really big grandstanding speech, which, again, we won't give you too much about. Uh, but th- I think there's enough in there. Uh, you know, it's one of these films that... Uh, uh, just the the, uh, the attempt, you know, Soderbergh's approach to it is something unusual. Uh, and, again, it could have been done in another way, but uh, he, he, he chose this route. It was co-written with... Um, So it was written by Scott Z. Burns, uh, the screenwriter, who also, he made this film, The Report. He directed this film called The Report, which also came out this year with Adam Driver, uh, which is another investigative uh, drama based on real-life events. But from, I'm not seeing that film, but this film seems to be very, very different to the approach Mm. there. Uh, So I think it's
2: it's worth a watch, I would say, worth a watch on Netflix. Yeah. Well, I mean, just, just keeping with the theme of Netflix and Adam Driver, the one film that I really liked just or last week, I think, was Marriage Story. Yeah, I need to catch up with this Scarlett one. Johansson seen yet, yes. and, and Adam Driver. Adam Driver, I'm, I'm not a big fan of. Particularly, I don't think he's particularly good in this film. I think he... but Scarlett Johansson is amazing. And what's interesting is that Marriage Story is this heart-on-the-sleeve homage to Ingmar Bergman's films. And in fact... Looking at my full list for the year, I watched loads of Bergman films because Criterion brought out a 40-disc version, Blu-ray version of all of Bergman's, not all of Bergman's films, but very many of them. So just seeing this, uh, you could really see that um, he was doing a really interesting homage to Bergman, and I think it worked really well, particularly Scarlett Johansson. I think these kinds of films about unhappy marriages... This one, I think, uh, tread a fine line between going, actually, these people did like each other at some point. They're not absolutely evil, kind of out-to-get-each-other people. And I think that they tried to do that. Although the Adam Driver character sometimes fell into cliches of violence, shouting, all those Mm. kinds of so-called masculine tropes. And I thought that was unnecessary and unhelpful. But I like that a lot.
1: And I think Driver's had a very prolific year. I mean, you know, I mentioned these two films that he's been in The Report and this marriage story. He's also in another film that I, that I wanted to mention. Uh, again, a completely <laughs> uh. change of pace uh, called The Dead Don't Die. And
2: this, Jim Jarmusch.
1: this Jim Jarmusch zombie comedy. And again, a bit like uh, uh, Soderbergh, a real stal- stalwart of the American indie scene, um, very deadpan approach, uh, as you might know if you've seen any of his films riffs all the time on established genres, you know, from the Western with um, with Dead Man mm. to a road well, movie to the either. gangster film. <laughs> so this one is his take on the zombie film, and it's done in a very kind of uh, comic way, uh, but it's not quite Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> um, so it's, you know, Bill Murray and Adam Driver are uh, two policemen in a small town called Centerville, and there's an outbreak of zombies. And it's just... What happens when uh, they're unleashed? There's a, a good ensemble cast, a really strong ensemble cast, as you as you've come we've come to expect from uh, from Jarmusch. Chloe Sevigny's in it, Steve Buscemi, Danny Glover. But I think, for me, one of my favorite performances of the year, Tilda Swinton, as this Scottish <laughs> uh, mortician who is also a samurai, oh, <laughs> and she is Swinton. terrific in this. And as you might expect, you know she is great. And there's a one scene, one shot in particular that I, I still remember. It's and it's f- seemingly a significant shot, but it's from the inside of the police station, looking out of the window, and you can see th- the character played by Swinton just traipsing along, dragging her samurai <laughs> sword. <laughs> and I just thought that was <laughs> terrific. And and I saw it at the cinema, and uh, there was a huge laugh at that point. And um, yeah, uh,
0: yeah, there's also. Um, Talk about Bergman and Jarmusch uh, on movie at the moment. I think there are about three films by Bergman mm. and ah, two by Jarmusch, and Only Levels Left Alive from a few years ago absolutely as well. With yeah, absolutely, yeah. Vampire, so another kind of are gonna yeah, riff on, yeah, yeah. on the horror yeah.
1: on the
2: horror genre. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, just looking again at my list, Um my l- my tops, I'm, I'm just thinking the one that I also really liked was Olivia Wilde's Booksmart, which was a really good. Kind of coming of age, and you know, in that American genre coming up to prom. I think you know, it's it, you see this over and over again, ob- obviously. And Smart is actually just very sweet and very fun, and and it works in a in a really mm. good way. I, I really like that. Mm. Um, yeah, there are not a lot of comedies in mind, <laughs> although although I do have yeah. the House That Jack Built. The oh, last one three years. Another one I've That's not seen it. yet. No. no, no, no. It's it's it's. It is, you know, I love Lars von Trier, um, but he, he kind of pushes you to the edge <laughs> of he is just so funny.
0: <laughs>
2: but the other film that um, I thought was good and probably one that wa- I don't think it's actually been released yet, it's a film called Sticks by Wolfgang Fischer. Mm. Um, it's a German film and it's about a doctor, a woman who goes on, uh, on, a, on a solo across-the-sea kind of um, um, sailing. I don't know how, what the words are mm. you know, Sails a boat across the sea. Yes. Alone, but <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, it's, and it's meant to be her holiday and, and all this kind of stuff. And she comes across a, um, a boat that has been hijacked by pirates. And she basically it's a very straightforward moral dilemma Mm. she gets in touch with the coast guard the coast guard says whatever you do do not get involved just sit there and wait it's going to take us two or three days to get there but you'll just make it worse if you get involved and then she gets involved obviously and things go wrong Hmm. and but but it's a it's quite an interesting play on well what would have been the right thing to do. So it was one of those good moral dilemma films. I like mm, that. And it was, that was quite beautifully good. done, actually. Yeah, I yeah. Again, it's those kind of films. There's so many European films that you only... I think I saw this at a film festival somewhere. Yeah. Probably at Edinburgh. That's right. they disappear. And they disappear and they disappear never, and see, they yeah. never yeah. get yeah. released. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. you know, sometimes if you're browsing through the bottom end of nat- Netflix or Amazon, you well, suddenly say, <laughs> oh, there it is, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought that was good as
0: well. How about yeah.
2: the latest um, Scorsese's uh, oh. the Irishman? Oh, the whole yeah, podcast so for that one.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> what did you think, this
1: <laughs> Well, this was—I mean, I had, so I had to first of all, I had to review the the book. So I've read the book as well. Okay. Uh, I heard you paint houses um, by Charles Brandt. So it's this story when of when was that?
2: When was that written?
1: So that thing that came out in early two thousands.
2: Okay.
1: Um, so he was a a lawyer. Charles is a, is a lawyer. Um, who became uh, who was approached by the by the people of um, this former hitman Frank Sheeran, the Irishman of the title, uh, who was living in a care home at the time, and he wanted to tell his story about um, his life and his involvement in the disappearance of Jimmy Hoffa, the uh, legendary, very very famous uh, president of the Teamsters Union in America, extremely powerful figure. Uh, in the 50s, 60s, until his disappearance uh, in the mid-1970s. We still don't know exactly what happened, but this film posits the idea that it was, in fact, Sheeran, who w- and Sheeran was a friend of Hoffa's, was his bodyguard, his confidant. And so the book is very much a, a, a confession, if you like, confession of a dying yeah. man who wanted to unburden himself of this. People have, have still... Sl- you know, A lot of people still think that, well, I don't know, did, did it happen, did it not happen? But a lot of the details there, and I think Scorsese has talked about it as well, that the, there is so much detail that, that it makes you think that, that there is something to what
2: to what Sheeran yeah. uh, says. And obviously that film, aside from that interesting story, there's another film called Hoffa from kind of the late 80s. The early da- it's a Danny DeVito film is
1: it? with Jack Nicholson as Hoffa. Oh, yeah. But it has a completely different... Very different a- ending, I don't really an approach it. to it. Yeah. A, a different fate. Well, not different fate, but yeah. it happens in a different way yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to Hoffa.
2: But obviously, this film sort of has, has been mainly talked about in terms of its use of yes. CGI yes. to youngify all the actors. Yes. And to some extent, I thought this was not great at all. It had. Now, I play a lot of computer games. <laughs> I'm, I'm playing Death Stranding at the moment, which is amazing. But, you know, if you play a lot of computer games, you've seen over the years how um, human faces have been rendered more and more realistically. Yeah. But still, they have this kind of sheen of plasticity to them. And I just couldn't get over that in the Irishman. I was just so glad when we suddenly cut to them at their normal, at their normal age. age yeah. like yeah. I mean, Al Pacino as Hoffa. Um, as Jimmy Hoffa. Looked, he, looked <laughs> he looked terrible. He, he, he just looked... Just bad. You know, just the CGI looked poor. I I just couldn't get over it. I mean, it was impressive. Yes. But just because I know this kind of look so well, it was kind of come on, this is like a three and a half hour cutscene where I can't shoot anybody in the back (laughs) of the head. (laughs) (laughs) And I really want
1: to. Yeah, no, I I get that. I I absolutely get that. And I think uh, when you're watching it for the first time, the first time you see, for instance, De Niro, and it's not even an action scene. First time you see De Niro behind the wheel of a car, just driving along, and you see those eyes yeah. and the, the the sheen of his uh, of that face. Fi- yeah, I mean, but but for me it wasn't as much of a problem. Mm. I think the the kind of physicality at times though really jarred. There's a scene where the De Niro have you seen it, where the De Niro character uh, beats someone up outside of a grocery store. Oh yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, he's supposed to be mid thirties or whatever, but you know, it's <laughs> he really doesn't look it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so he lumbers around and yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> what did you make of that
2: cat?
0: <laughs> um, the blue eyes were quite jarring, I think. Yeah. That that was one of the things that I couldn't really get used to. But in terms of if it worked as a film, I think it really did. It was yeah. obviously very, very long, and we went to the cinema to watch it. Oh, did you? Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was really, really worth it. it I took mean, me three days to watch it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, I think that that's what's important—not I- important, but in- interesting to me. You know, the debate—not necessarily about the CGI. I don't really care about that, mm. but how it's younger people tend to like really, really struggle to watch it in one go, yeah. because it is such a long film. And I think it's a, sh- it's almost a shame that it's on Netflix on Netflix because it allows you to do that but way anyway, you have to watch you know you have to sit and watch it and I think it works you know there, there wasn't really a point where I thought oh, I'm kind of getting a bit no. bored here the progression of the scenes yeah. was really really lovely and yeah, I mean yeah, Scorsese
2: I is great at putting together a story yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: and also towards the end it's literally like an the whole hour where you know you kind of guess what's going to yeah, happen yeah. but the tension is ah. incredible and a- the and way th- it's built as well and when it yeah. happens you kind of like
1: I mean me too. I mean, I also saw it at the cinema. I saw it at the Matinee at the film house and it was the first screening and it was packed out, Cinema One, and the audience were mostly kind of older audience. So I expected, you know, three and a half hours, there's gonna be a lot of people going in and out of the <laughs> cinema here. But everyone stayed and you're right. I mean, I think it is three and a half hours. It's one of those films you don't really feel that um length, the, the duration. Um not not to say that it moves at, at a frenetic pace. I mean it's much slower than mm-hmm. Say something like uh, *Goodfellas* or, or *Casino*, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 it's it makes for uh, as, as you would expect. It makes for a, an interesting comparison with the other two films. This one is, I think, much more mournful. It's only towards the end, mm-hmm. and tonally is very different to the other films. The final maybe half an hour, mm-hmm. where we have a uh, De Niro on his own as an older man. Um, there are some scenes there which are just incredible. I mean, I think a lot has been made of Pacino's performance. Jo, um, Joe Pesci's performance as uh, the quiet mob boss Russell Buffalino. and quite rightly, but I think, and De Niro, I think, has been well. They've they've not really considered, you know, his performance as much as the other two. It's not quite as showy, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is a scene that I thought was was, was um, incredible: the scene where he phones the wife of uh, of Jimmy Hoffa after his disappearance, and it's yeah. just De Niro in the bedroom, in his bedroom, making this call stuttering, stumbling yeah. over uh, his words. And, yeah, I mean, uh, it's some, uh, some of the best things that the has ever done, I think, at the end of that film. So, um, yeah. I, I would agree, though, with, <laughs> with the, the de-aging, the youthification.
2: Well, uh, one of the things I thought is, if I was an a-, a young actor yeah. who, look, who looked a bit like Al Pacino, I'd be, oh, come <laughs> on, I could have done that. And, yeah. in fact, w- again, I thought this was... The particularly the wasted opportunity of Anna Paquin, you know, who plays mm-hmm. Peggy, yes. um, Frank's daughter. Yes. You know, Anna Paquin, the little girl from the piano. The piano, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's been in such great films, and she's—I mean, I, sh- I think she literally says six words throughout the whole yeah. film, She's quite important. Yeah,
1: but when I get her, but a strong presence. I mean, yeah. there's, a, there's a scene. But sorry,
2: the, w- the, the point being that her younger self wasn't computerized. They just got it. That's true. Actor. and I just thought, That's hold true. on, mm-hmm. how can yeah. all the men get? Well, expensive CGI, although I mean, I mean, the girl Peggy is a young girl; is much younger. She's about six or seven, whereas she's kind of in her twenties when we see Anna Packen mm-hmm. take her over. Yeah. But still, I just thought,
0: and that's this is actually something that we talked about just after the screening as well. That is that these men are in the seventies or however old they are, and they still get to do a film like this? That's huge, and you kind of think, Jesus Christ! I mean, that's mm. the, that's the. It's this sort of bittersweet truth of Hollywood that if you are someone, you can, and if you are a man especially, you can keep making films until you on your deathbed, pretty much. But I don't really think it's the same for women necessarily. So that was that was kind of interesting as well.
2: So talking about slightly younger directors, (laughs) (laughs) um, and this was also in my top ten was Jonah Hill's mid nineties. Oh yeah, which is kind of. I presume it's fairly autobiographical story that Jonah Hill wrote and directed, um, just about a young kid in LA. I think it's LA. They all look the same to me. But um, <laughs> um, who, who takes up quite a grim home life, um, but it takes up with, with a group of skateboarding lads, and they kind of become this community. Some of them quite a lot older, and it's just a really great evocation of this period and of this time. I thought worked really well and there's one there's a sequence where somebody crashes and I've not reacted mm. so strongly it's like oh and <laughs> I could feel you know that you know if you've ever fallen and you get the breath knocked out of you the yeah. film just managed to capture that it was absolutely fantastic and again that film sort of appeared disappeared it's now on Netflix mm-hmm. but it's definitely worth watching in mm. the mid 90s
1: well, actually, sticking with, sorry, this is mm. kind of Netflix-themed, uh, there was another f- film, another period movie that I thought was excellent, and, and again, a, a, a comic film about filmmaking. Again, uh, that's another link. Uh, Dolomite is my name. Oh, yeah, I saw that. You see that one, yeah, 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 the, yeah. the Eddie Murphy film, yeah. and he's getting a bit of a, I mean, there's there have been, the past few years, there's, there's constant talk about, oh, you know, Murphy's coming back. There's a comeback from Eddie Murphy. And I think this time this could be the film that does it because he's also got actually he's also got the sequel to Coming to America uh, coming out I think next year, uh, but this is a film Dolomite is my name um, about the maverick comedian, stroke singer turned guerrilla filmmaker, uh, black exploitation filmmaker Rudy Ray Moore, and it's if you a real a real person a real guy yeah if you look up some of his albums they are. <laughs> oh, they are eye popping. S- some of the album covers—you don't have to listen to the just the album covers. There's one particular Christmas album where, you know, I won't say much more, but just just Google it and you'll, you'll see. <laughs> um, so it is this ca- this character who st- started out as a, as a as a stand-up, quite a, a lewd kind of stand-up comedian, and then decided, no, no, I want to I want to be a star. I want to make films, and it's a really terrific showcase, I think, for Eddie Murphy. Uh, usually when you, when you say that, you think, oh well, is he playing lots of different characters? Does he have a ton of prosthetics on him? He doesn't. No, I mean, this is, this is very much just him. Uh, it's, um, it doesn't rely on prosthetics. It's a really excellent, I think, evocation of that era of the late 60s and 70s. It, but it's also a satire on low budget filmmaking. You know, yeah, on, on guerrilla d- filmmakers and uh, Wesley Snipes pops up as yeah, 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 this fantastic. director <laughs> who's great in it so I, I thought this was uh, a really good showcase for, for Eddie Murphy yeah, yeah.
2: I thought that was great yeah. it worked as
0: well. going back to early 2019 and I don't, I c- actually can't remember if, we d- if I mentioned this film last year when we did this episode but uh, American of Scots came out in January 2019 so mm-hmm. technically mm-hmm. it still is yeah. a 2019 film and I think that's on Netflix just now as well, okay, but I, I, remem- we I remember watching that film and kind of, n- not necessarily in terms of, well, I mean, the cinematography was amazing and in terms of the plot or anything, but the reaction that I had to it, I think right. that was one of the most powerful films of, of this year. Something just right. happened that night when okay. we went to cinema and I think okay. I went with Esther oh yeah, yeah. and we just couldn't talk for sort of like 20 minutes afterwards, wow. went to a pub for a Esther, Esther's just handed her PhD. Oh in this yes, yes, this yes. That's oh. yeah, 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 yeah. congratulations.
2: Yeah. Yeah, just after this, <laughs>
0: this podcast. Yeah, but we're quite taken by by that film. So that I think mm-hmm. that kind of stays in my sort of top ten, if not top yeah. five, in terms of just the reaction. You know, just like a good. Put together well, put together film that is just good entertainment. Makes you cry, makes you laugh. Mm. It kind of does the whole thing. It
1: is funny. You tend to forget at the, at the end of the year, you forget the films that are released exactly in, in January. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's why I always look at the um, the the FDA website, the Film Distributors Association right. website, to see what's been released when. And you know, there are some films where you think, wow, is that seemed like two or three years yeah, ago, right? but, <laughs> but it was only yeah, January. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. I'm just looking at. at Others in my top ten, Zhe Zhang Kei's Ash's *Purest White, no, Chinese not. filmmaker. Now in fact, I've not been a big fan of his films. They're so this kind of pseudo-neorealism, which I find tedious <laughs> beyond all. But you he has tended to... But Ash's Purest White yeah. is his kind of homage to Wong Kar Wai, mm. particularly to yeah. Chongqing Express. Yeah. It's... I suppose actually all the films I like to see were homages to other films. Yeah, so. and the past couple of films that.
1: he's he's imbra- he's embraced kind of genre yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really just with with a touch of sin, I thought is, l- is a couple of is that the last film of the f- film before, but anyway, I, I really really thought Touch of Sin was great, and this mm-hmm. is very much a, a mm-hmm. companion piece, yeah. and the, the the same actress as well. Yeah, um, I thought Tal. it was
2: great. Then uh, just one more: Ben Wheatley's Happy New Year, Colin Burstead. Oh, yes. Uh, I've got one more because that's uh-huh. a kind of closed house family kind of drama. And it was just really good fun. And Ben Wheatley's always, always, always a good laugh.
1: No, I must say I do like Wheatley. I mean, I've not seen that, that one, but yeah. I mean, I like, I mean, a particular, f- you know, things like Free Fire and uh, even his first film, Down Terrace. I yeah, think yeah, was yeah. Really, really, really good. Uh, I wanted to point out uh, 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 quite a low key little romantic drama, which from India. <laughs> called Photograph. And Ooh, did you see this?
0: I wanted to see it. Was it part of Edinburgh International? It was. Festival? And, and, and had it had a very
1: out. brief theatrical release yes. after that. Yeah, um, yeah. So this is from a director called Ritesh Batra. And he, in recent years, has done a couple of English language films. Um, he did The Sense of an Ending, uh, the adaptation, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, by, with Jim Broadbent and Charlotte Rampling. She did a f- he did a film called Our Souls at Night with Robert Redford and Jane Fonda. So now, you know, he's got quite a, a, a kudos and cachet in, in Hollywood. is um, he, perhaps best known, though, for this film he made in 2013 called The Lunchbox. Again, a kind of romantic drama about mm. people kind of connecting um, through, and th- that film was food. Whereas here it's a similar kind of story, and it's about this um, street photographer, this lonely, um, I suppose, early middle-aged uh, street photographer, and his rather unlikely romance. Uh, and it's got a very kind of unhurried approach, really naturalistic, great sense of city life in Mumbai. Uh, there's one critic that I, that I saw said he said. Batra makes the nicest films in world cinema. (laughs) 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 So it's kind of like the opposite of Von Trier. But I mean, I thought this, it it really worked for me because I mean, it's almost like a balm, isn't it? It's really different to some of the other far stronger uh, films in terms of tone. And so there's no violence here. It's really kind of tender film. So I thought that was kind of an antidote
2: to some of the other films. <laughs> so it's almost the opposite to, to my last one yeah, which yeah. is Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. Oh with yes. Daniel nice. Craig. Yes. Which is I, I, I was trying to figure out what you would call it. It's almost like a golden age detective story locked house thriller. And Daniel Craig is just amazing. He's got the most ridiculous <laughs> accent. <laughs> the Southern gent. <laughs> And I think, you know, I think the famous thing is... Which you also had in
1: Logan Lucky, I think. Did he have a southern accent in that film oh, as well? possibly. <laughs> honestly,
2: no. But um, yeah. it was just so strange and so over the top. Um, I loved that. I thought it was really that good was fun. That was good yeah. fun. I
0: yeah. think if you want something just before Christmas, just yeah, chill yeah, yeah. so for two hours, that's, th- that's the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: um, yeah, I I'm had just a, just a couple more just briefly mm. um, because of... I mean, have, have I mentioned an Italian film yet? I don't think so.
0: It's in your contract. It's in the contract, <laughs> in yeah. the
1: contract um, especially since, you know, I'm um, programming the Italian Film Festival. This year we had, quite, I think, quite a good lineup. Uh, the opening night film I thought was really good because, again, this is the theme, another film about filmmaking. Mm. It's a film called Magical Nights, uh, Notti Magiche, from a director called Paolo Virzi, and it's, uh, it's set in Rome during the early 1990s. In fact, 1990, the year 1990. It starts um, at the w- when Italy got knocked out of the World Cup. But it's not really about, about football. That's a kind of starting point for the story of three young screenwriters who all arrive in Rome and they become embroiled in the uh, mysterious death of this flamboyant uh, producer. So what the film is, it's a kind of l- love letter to that time in Italian cinema, which, if you think, it's kind of the, the real tail end of the golden age, if you like. So you had you still had a few of the of, of the, the great directors like Fellini, for instance, um, still around, but uh, it was really coming to the end. And it's based on Virzi's memories of the time, because he was a young wannabe filmmaker uh, at that time. So I thought it was it was really really well done. Uh, again, it's one of those films that you don't necessarily, like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you don't necessarily have to get all the references. But uh, you know, if you do know your, your the Italian cinema of the time, then y- you, know, you, will, you will get you get um, yeah. maybe a bit more out of it. Yeah.
2: Well, in terms of Italian cinema, although I didn't think it was great, particularly great was Paolo Sorrentino's Loro. Right, yes. The, the Berlusconi hmm. film. Now, unfortunately, in the UK, in the, in outside of Italy, it was released in a kind of a two and a half hour long version. Yeah, and in Italy it's four hours long. Yeah, and I don't often think this, but I wanted to see the four hour version. Yeah, um, and I, I, it's, it felt kind of eviscerated. I, I think so
1: too. I mean, uh, yeah, I saw the the shortened version, and I really do think yes. I mean, it. it I mean the. The central performance, again, with, with, with Sorrentino, there's this idea of the central grotesque figure, mm. this meshing of spectacle and politics, which we've gotten before in other films. Uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, some incredible set pieces, as yeah. we've come to expect from, from him. The usual kind of criticisms, I think, That's that we, that we can level at him. <laughs> Deep
2: six, uh, yeah.
1: Indeed, I mean, the, you know, you could definitely see uh, all of that. But, um, no, I think you're right. I mean, uh, it would be interesting to see, you know, what, uh, what scenes were cut out? Why they were cut out? And uh, that might make mm. for yeah. good analysis.
0: I actually want to ask uh, both of you about... No, it's quite con- not controversial for David, but I know he hates that film, but how about The Souvenir?
2: Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> that's... that's I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I hate to pick on a, a film directed by a woman, but this is the one film this year that just did my head in. Mm. I couldn't <laughs> believe that Sight and Sound voted it the best film mm of the year, I found this insufferable, stupid, um, just painful in every single way. Uh, you know, that's not a very good or thought. Through I mean, it's just another
1: one of those that I need, to, I need to catch up on. So, I mean... Lots of love it. <laughs> I, yeah,
2: yeah I, 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 you know, I, I'm really in the minority, quite radically so, but I've never mm-hmm. liked Joanna Hogg's films. Right.
0: I think it, her filmmaking is kind of like that, though you kind of either hate her... Not her, but her no, films, no, no, or yeah. love her films, because I think I've, I've seen a few of her films just kind of back then, and they're quite difficult um, just to sort of get through. But I think that's kind of what she's trying to do, perhaps. Yeah. Sometimes she kind of rubs you the wrong way, and you don't really know why, and you get really kind of frustrated and angry almost, and you don't really just, you know, y- it's not something obvious. You're like, I don't like it because of it, but yeah. it seems a mm. bit. But this
2: seemed just too kind of self-indulgent, yeah. you know, based on yeah, her yeah. own... Well, I was going to say, it's autobiographical, isn't it? Semi-autobiographical. And, and, uh, and just really pretentious, I
0: guess. But her other films are exactly like that. Yeah, I would no, describe them true. the same terms. so that's mayb- maybe that's that. niche. But, you know, niche.
2: lots of, you know, I'm, I'm probably wrong.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: perhaps the other film that we should actually just, just mention is um, Joker, mm-hmm. or Todd Phillips' Joker. Oh, interestingly, Todd Phillips, who I'd never really heard of, I realised I'd seen one of his films. His very first film was a documentary about the American punk rocker Gigi Allen, Mm. who was mainly famous for being really bad at playing instruments and just being a bad singer, but also kind of getting naked and (laughs) soiling himself on stage and throwing feces at the audience. (laughs) And and this... um, and the film is just really grim, and, and he dies of a heroin o- overdose at the end. Um, but once I realised that, in fact, I suddenly thought, oh okay, I understand what he's doing with Joker mm-hmm, a little mm-hmm. bit more. Yeah, that he's yeah. interested in these kind of end of life sort of characters. Yeah, yeah. but you yeah. know, Joker I thought was fine. <laughs> you know, it was it was good. Once again, a
1: really great evocation of of place, this kind of really grimy New York, obviously heavily indebted to Scorsese. And again, we have this...
2: Oh, the King of New York. The King King of New York.
1: Well, that's it, yeah. And uh, obviously De Niro popping up as this uh, talk show host Mm. uh, with that uh, dazzling Hollywood smile. Uh, And and Joaquin Phoenix, I mean, you would think that he would be a shoe in for, definitely a nomination at uh, the Oscars for Best Actor, but um, another one of those performances where you, you can really see what he's put himself through <laughs> shall we say uh so yes yes no 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 again not, not without its its flaws but a really really interesting uh, take on that character that mm. we're familiar with i suppose yeah.
2: But i think it's been a good year I've, I've kind of seen i mean i definitely you know looking at my full list you know i i really go back to i think my top three films of this year and and i've seen all of them uh, two of them before obviously Killer of Sheep, Charles Burnett's oh, 1978, yes. Evocation of, of African-American Life in L.A., uh, which is amazing. Three Colours Blue, I don't know why I watched that again, yeah. but you know, I don't often go back and watch films again, but that's one of my favorites. And then a film I hadn't seen before is Japanese film, Mikio Naruse's Floating Clouds ah, from yes. 1955, which I absolutely loved, um, and that was really good. But the other film that I'll just mention very quickly because I'm coming up to the end. The film that, that really fascinated me was um, Robert Day's The Rebel from nineteen sixty one with Tony Hancock. Oh yes as a, you know, he's a radio comedian from, from Hancock's Half Hour in the nineteen fifties and then he made these this film. And it's he's a kind of a <coughs> bureaucrat in London, kind of living this meaningless life and then he suddenly decides to become a sculptor in paris and he moves to paris and he meets the existentialists <laughs> i mean it's just hilarious um and just such an interesting film mm. and, and, and and really quite forgotten so i'm kind of trying to yeah well that's that early back. 60s that one 61 yeah, wow. yeah, 61 yeah yeah followed by his other film punch the punch and judy man yeah. which is a little bit more serious a bit more like um you know the Lawrence Olivier one, the entertainer, right? right. Um, that kind of end of end of peer life, um, with a kind of aging um, uh, carnival performer in those kind of seaside towns in the UK, um, and they are kind of losing the will to live, and also you know uh, end of an era, um, the coming of the new. So, Punch and
1: Judy Man is a little bit more
2: serious, but Rebel. It's I also like
1: a fascinating distinction right? between, between the different media, so from radio to TV, and, and that era of British comedy I'm really interested in as well. I mean, I've always been a fan of Peter Sellers, for instance, yeah. and it's a similar kind of era, you know, an actor that started out in radio and then moving into uh, film. And um, so I think that's, uh, you know, I'd be interested to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Talking about films not from this year, I actually have a few that I've seen myself that I was completely blown away by, mm. and one of them is Chinatown. And I saw that for the film. Oh, first yeah, time. you haven't seen that before? No, oh, no amazing, no, 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 no. God. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I
2: wish I could see that again. For the first Forget time. it, David. Yeah, yeah. Forget yeah. it, David. <laughs> it's Chinatown. It's
0: Chinatown. <laughs> And then I love that with, my with John D. John. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. phenomenal. 90, uh, yeah. but late eighties. That's the joy of going back to films like that now because oh, I amazing. feel like I can yeah. appreciate them a bit more than I would five years ago. But another one is Moon, which I uh, yes, Duncan for Jones. The Duncan yeah. Jones, yes. Phenomenal. Oh great. Yeah, um, yeah. another fun one, is Summer Stock, with Judy Garland from oh. the fifties. It's a musical no, and it's just that. you know, oh, okay. what now there's like Sunday afternoon um, films that you see. That's uh, a Another one, one sings the other doesn't. I think that was um, my favorite one. French film? Uh, yes, by Agnès yeah. Varda. Yes. So I, th- I thought uh-huh. that just yeah made. Actually,
1: yes, that's al- another mentioned uh, Varda's what turned out to be her final film, Varda by Agnès, which mm-hmm. is this uh, semi-autobiographical documentary about mm-hmm. uh, about about her, you know, yeah. made by her about her, about her filmmaking process, and again that was at the film festival, and I just thought if you're a fan, I mean if you're a fan of Varda, if you're a fan of French cinema. But even kind of, you know film in general, I mean it's 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 a really really warm hearted, terrific, very insightful uh, documentary on on the process of of directing. Mm.
0: Mm. And have any, any of you seen if Bill Street could talk? Yeah, I did. It was yeah. a Barry good Barry Jenkins. I sh- yeah, I, I, I have a feeling it. I am really, really going to like it, but I haven't had a chance yeah. to to watch it. It was good. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I, okay. I, I yeah. quite <laughs> like his style. I mean, I quite like Barry, Barry Jenkins. Style, I mean, it's it's got he's he's ta- often talked about his debt to someone like Claire Denis, for mm-hmm. instance, the French filmmaker, mm. and I think you can really see that and this kind of very slow-burning uh, approach, especially in this film. I mean, Moonlight as well, but this film also mm. and definitely has that uh, slow-burning quality, um, based of course on the, on the James Baldwin uh, book as well. Mm. So I'm is a director that you're interested to see whatever film he brings out. You're really uh, interested to see what he brings out next. I think Jenkins. Mm.
0: Do you have any more on the list, Pasquali?
1: There was just one, one more, and again th- we're talking about intersections. D- you know, moving between media, uh, and this was uh, the. D- I mean, this year we've had. Is it, was it this year the film version or the film sequel to Dead
2: uh, Deadwood? And yeah, which was awful. Yeah. Awful, yeah. awful. I really wanted to, to like <laughs> it. It's yeah. actually, the w- it's at the bottom of and my and list, even below. Joanna but Hulk. the
1: one, the one I wanted to talk about was actually the the se- the, the Breaking Bad movie, El Camino. Oh yeah. Now I, uh, I came quite late to Breaking Bad. You know, it was one of those series where everyone was talking about it, and you've got to see it. I can't believe you've not seen it. Managed to see it. Really like Breaking Bad. Even more, I l- I really love Better Call Saul. Um, mm. the um, spin-off, spin-off series. spin-off with the lawyer, yeah. Uh, and here, this um, El Camino film, it's, uh, f- well, it's the immediate aftermath of the final episode of Breaking Bad, which I won't spoil, but we are with the character played by Aaron Paul, Jesse Pinkman, uh, just after the events th- of that f- uh, final episode. What the film does is it, it has a kind of flashback structure, so we move back and forth uh, in time. A really great turn from... I th- Aaron Paul but also from Jesse Plemons who plays the kind of baby-faced killer in there he's also actually in The Irishman where he plays Al Pacino's stepson the blonde stepson Chucky little Chucky Uh, also a really terrific turn from Robert Forster who sadly passed away this was his final performance and he plays well he played a, a kind of vacuum cleaner salesman <laughs> with shall uh, we say yeah, extra he skills he's got extra skills that's yeah. not his only yeah. job <laughs> yeah. um what i thought was great about this film the 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 I s- the clear influence of sergio leone because uh, gilligan the director vince gilligan who's a showrunner of breaking bad directed this spin-off film says that you know the influence of, of leone is all over breaking bad in terms of composition. The way music is used, and there's one scene in particular, in El Camino, this uh, confrontation scene, that is shot very much uh, in the Sergio Leone uh, style. So um, yeah, I mean, I would, it's you know, you 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 think, well, where could it go now after, you know, after this um, film? We could probably do another. I I, I would, it's a character that I think has still has life in him. I think. Mm.
0: Well, I think there's a huge selection for whoever is listening. to whoever is listening, they can just take these films and just watch them for the next year, because <laughs> we mentioned <laughs> so many. Good. But no, um, really, uh, thank you so much for coming on and oh talking about you all your favourites. Thank, thank you yes, very much. much thank yeah. you. It's been great.